Well, I think this is on right. I'm excited to preach tonight. Um, It's always a pleasure to to, to be here on Sunday night and preach um, God's word to you, what he has spoken to me through his word. If you have your Bible tonight, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. As many of you know, we have been going through the sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday nights. I can tell you that I've greatly been blessed with the previous sermons that I've listened to. Um, tonight, we're going to focus on a few different, difficult verses. And I'll be honest, when I first heard that we were doing the series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, the only thing that popped into my, my mind was, I hope I don't get these verses I'm preaching to you tonight. Um, but uh, in his divine providence, um, his sovereignty... He decided that it would be best for me to to get these verses, and I'm very happy that that happened. Um, And uh, I've learned a lot. I'm excited to preach to you what God has taught me. But uh, a disclaimer before we get started, um, this is a subject where there's been a lot of disagreement between brothers and sisters, um, Christian brothers and sisters throughout the ages, about what exactly these verses mean. So it's okay to disagree. It's okay to disagree with me uh, on some of the minor details. Uh, So I stand here with a burden to represent what God has spoken to me through his word, but knowing that we may disagree, and I humbly admit that I might be wrong on some of the details. So as I pray tonight that God would work through me in spite of me, which which praise him he can and will do. So let's pray, let's, let's read Matthew 5, uh, verses 31 through 32, and then we'll pray. Beginning in verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual, sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a wise and good God. Lord, we are a broken people that need your grace and your mercy. Sin comes into our lives and makes things messy and hard, Lord, and we pray that you would Fix us, Lord, as we know you will. We pray that you would guide us, direct us in your word. We pray that tonight that we would be open to what you have spoken to us through your word. That, Lord, we would focus on not the messenger, me, Lord, but we would focus on your words. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase and you would speak your words through me. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen. So last week, if you were here, you uh, listened to Robbie do a great job explaining the issue uh, in the verses before, verses 27 through 31, or 30, about lust, adultery, how these issues are not only the actions that we do, but also 
the thoughts and lust in our heart. So with that discussion of lust and adultery, a natural question or application arises. And Jesus takes that turn and that direction to talk about marriage and divorce. How do these work in light of what he just previously taught about adultery and lust? So these two passages that, that we're going to speak about tonight are intimately connected with what came before. And before we dive into this sermon, I think it's good and very important for us to understand the context of who Jesus is preaching to at this moment. It really opened my eyes to why he spoke like he did. Jesus, beginning in verse 31, quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which made provisions for divorces and gave restrictions when it came to divorce. So we're going to be referencing that verse quite a bit tonight. So if you wanted to turn your Bible there, I'm going to read verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 24. It's in early in the New Testament. And it says this, verse 1 of chapter 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, he puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. So the only legitimate grounds of divorce, according to this verse, is he has found some indecency in her. And then he can write this certificate of divorce. The phrase, some indecency, is somewhat vague. Um, It's not clear. And because of that, ever since it was written, it led to much debate among the rabbis. And during this time, there were essentially two camps. One camp stated that you could get a divorce for any reason that displeased the man. And the second camp believed that it was only sexual immorality, adultery. And by the time Jesus was around, the majority view was the first. Anything that displeased the man were grounds for divorce. There are writings from that time that spelled out some of the reasons why Jewish men were divorcing their wives. And we'll give you a few so you kind of understand what's going on here. These included being barren, if she was severely sick, if the husband considered her lazy. Listen to this. According to the Mishnah Ketub, a Jewish Jewish log written not long after Jesus, a man could divorce his wife if she ate something that he forbid her to eat, if she visited the home of her parents against his wishes, if the in-laws moved into the same city to be near the daughter, if she burdened, burned his supper, or simply found that he thought someone else was prettier. These were written down reasons why divorce was legitimate according to the Jewish people. That was the audience Jesus was addressing. One that clearly thought that someone could divorce someone for any reason. Not only that, they believed it was okayed by God. They were in the right. And then Jesus addresses that in verse 31. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 24, 
which has the context of what we just spoke about. And he introduces the topic of divorce with the commonly used justification that the Jews were using in order to justify the idea of divorce within the community. And just like he does in various other times in the Sermon on the Mount, he corrects their misinterpretation with the phrase, you, verse 31, it was said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say... Jesus corrects their misinterpretation of marriage, of divorce. I say, and he goes on and explains the correct view. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this two verses here and the implication of them. But the first thing that I want to say about these verses is Jesus is more concerned about pointing out how important marriage is than he is about showing some technical reason for divorce. That's why I titled my sermon Jesus on Marriage and not Jesus on Divorce. Because Jesus is more concerned about upholding marriage, an institution that was given down by God, than he is about saying, well, if you do this, then you can get divorced. If you do that, you can get divorced. He's focused in about marriage. Let's look at verse 32. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. The first thing that we see is that this applies to everyone. This is a big deal because it doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, been married a day or 50 years. The only exception, according to Jesus in this verse, for divorce is sexual immorality. Automatically, their view is cut at the knees. He then goes on and states, and one, another thing I want to point out is he goes on and does not command his followers to divorce either. This is a, not a justification for divorce, but a point that he's trying to make. The only way it can be okay is if sexual immorality is involved. Again, not a command to divorce, but a technical reason why divorce could be initiated. He goes on in verse 32, if he, the person, divorces her without the exception of sexual immorality, he, the guy who is divorcing the lady, makes her commit adultery. So how does a person who divorces a woman make her commit adultery in this situation? Is he forcing her to go out and do adultery? Well, no, of course not. But what is he doing? Well, according to God, the divorce is not valid in verse 32. The only way it can be valid, according to Jesus, is that if, if the divorce is on the grounds of sexual immorality, if it's not on that ground, God does not recognize that divorce. So this lady goes out after she's divorced, remarries, and then commits adultery within that marriage. 
on her ex-husband. So he goes on, so not only are you making her commit adultery, but whoever marries her commits adultery as well. He was pointing out that marriage is such a big deal and important to the believer's life that divorce is not some small, trivial thing like they've made it. They have divorced for any reason, for any moment. He connects these verses back to the previous ones in verses 27 and 30. It's such a big deal, marriage, that if you divorce on the wrong terms, you make other people in sin. Not only sin, but what we talked about last week, verses 27 through 30, adultery and lust. If you were here for that last week, you know how dangerous adultery is and how serious it is for the believer and how serious Jesus takes it. He tells us that we should cut off our right hand or pluck our eye out if we were able to control ourselves. So the put that on someone else should be a serious sin for a believer to do. And this is not the only place that Jesus expressed this idea in the book of Matthew. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. It's a very similar situation that's going on in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So they're very concerned about this as well. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And, he, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, God, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And he reaffirms his original statement in chapter 5, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. He first expresses how important marriage is in this chapter, chapter 19. Then... Because it's so important, there is now one flesh, and God joined these people together, and we are not to separate what God has joined together. And like the Pharisees always do, they try to trip up Jesus, and like they always do, they fail miserably. Jesus expands more about marriage and why divorce should be a negative thing. In verse 7, they bring up that reference in Deuteronomy chapter 24, and his response is seen in verse 8. This, is, this was not the way God intended marriage for there to be divorce. But because of your sin, your hardness of heart, that's why divorce was given to these people. Not because that's what God wanted, 
but because they had hard hearts. Divorce should be viewed as a terrible thing in all circumstances because it causes pain, causes all parties to sin. Above else, it's against God's design. And the, the question that can be asked as well, they struggled with this so much, how are we going to be any different? What makes us different from the, from the text that they're talking about in chapter 19? Well, just like last week, talking about adultery, he expects more from his followers. He, he expects marriage to be rare, or he expects divorce to be rare among his followers. When he explains that Moses prevented divorce because of the hardness of your hearts, Jesus' Jesus's people are different from those people. And why? Because they now have a new heart. All believers, according to Ezekiel, have a heart of flesh given us to buy, us by God. We are now able to remain faithful to each other, husbands and wives, not because we try harder or we're better than these people in the Old Testament or the Jewish people, but because God's grace and mercy is working in our lives today, unlike they were working in, the, in, in their life then. And as I was reading more about this, it's impossible to hit this subject without explaining a little bit more about divorce. When are we able, when does the text implicitly give us reasons why it is right to be divorced? Even though Jesus isn't primarily concerned with this, he does give the answer his answer in chapter 5, grounds of sexual immorality. But there's a little bit more to all of that that we'll talk about now. And this is the part I ask for your patience and mercy because uh, throughout church, among good brothers and sisters, there are wide disagreement, and that's okay. And I will briefly speak on each of these views and tell you which one I fall into and why, and hopefully we can remain friends at the end. <laughs> so the first view is that divorce is wrong in all circumstances. Listen to Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Harsh words in Malachi. This, uh, this view argues that the statement of Matthew, Matthew 5, although may seem to allow for divorce in certain circumstances, in other scriptures we see God com, uh, against divorce because this is not the design of what God has intended for his people. We should strive for what is the original order, marriage in all circumstances. Jesus is more condemning the practice of divorce than he's giving permission for divorce. Although I agree with the last statement, I think the way Jesus plainly teaches, except for adultery, and the exception twice in the same book, makes his view a little narrow for what the scripture teaches. Another view, the second view, teaches that it's only permissible 
if someone in the relationship has committed adultery. People who argue for this point point to these texts, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19, the two we just read. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, the only reason for divorce is sexual immorality. So it seems to indicate that that is the only possible reason why you should ever divorce a spouse. And I understand this view. I think we all can, but there are other scriptures that we need to point to before we come to our final decision. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth. He speaks in depth about Christian marriage and what it should look like, how we to act within marriage concerning specific circumstances. And then we see, in, beginning in verse 12, he gets into some specific areas. To the rest, verse 12 of chapter 7, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will become unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Verse 15, this is the important verse that we're going to talk about. But if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has, God has called you to peace. 1 Corinthians 7 seems to indicate that another reason why we are able to have divorce or is permitted is because of what many people call abandonment. If someone, if you're married and you have an unbelieving spouse and they leave you and they don't want anything to do with you, you can not stop divorce in that. It's permittable to allow divorce to happen in that circumstance. Many people will point to this and state there are two biblical reasons. Divorce, abandonment. If a spouse had committed adultery towards you or if an unbelieving spouse abandons you then, and they want divorce, then you can allow it. Even with this view, there are disagreements of what abandonment looks like, what that means specifically. Both, however, listen, both are extreme circumstances outside God's original plan and the norm of what marriage should be. And that's the point in both of these texts. It's not so much permitting divorce, but it's giving these extreme circumstances of it being so outside of what God had intended for marriage that it makes it permissible for divorce. And most people, uh, I would say, fall into the last two categories. So if you agree with that, you're in the majority. Um, I lean and mostly convinced to Scripture allowing divorce in two circumstances, abandonment and sexual immorality. However, there is an argument that these are examples of extreme actions, situations so outside of God's attendant design for marriage that this is why divorce is allowed. In these extreme circumstances of the human experience, 
And here are two specific examples that are given in Scripture. And I want to be cautious in stating this, like I stated earlier in the sermon. Jesus is less concerned about how you can technically get out of your marriage, and he's more concerned about upholding the institution of marriage among his followers. He holds it so high that only in these reasons he gives in the scriptures that you can divorce. And every situation is different, and I don't want to speak so broadly when the scriptures are somewhat silent about every situation. And I think anyone struggling with these issues, especially past relationships, past heartaches, I have family members that have been through divorce. My parents were divorced when I was young. They were reconciled, and they now live a godly, happy marriage. I know God can make even the worst circumstances right, but divorce hurts so many people that it's not intended to. I think the best form of advice that I can give is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to them and to which God has called him. That is my rule in all the churches. Sometimes there's a stigma in the church of people who have been divorced, and that's not okay. God calls every Christian to live the life we are currently in to the best of our ability in a complete obedience to Christ. And that's what he's called us to be in each circumstance that he's assigned to us. We are to live in obedience no matter what our past is. We're able to be members and active in the local church. So very quickly, we'll we'll move on um, to the last section of why this is so important, Jesus. Why is divorce condemned so harshly and marriage lifted up so high? And we won't spend a lot of time about this, but look or listen to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Many of you know it. Many of you have read it many times. Chapter 5, beginning in verse beginning in verse 31. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, still about marriage. This mystery is profound. Now I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 31 is a quotation. Oh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 is a quotation from Genesis 2, 24, explaining how marriage is deeply connected to the relationship that the church has with God. Listen to this quote from John Piper concerning these verses. The union of man and woman in marriage is a mystery because it conceals as in a parable, a truth about Christ and the church. The divine reality is hidden in the metaphor of marriage that God ordained and permitted union between the son and the church, just as a husband and wife are connected and one flesh, 
son and the church are connected. Human marriage is an earthly image of the divine plan. As God willed for Christ and the church to become one body, so he willed for marriage to reflect this pattern, that the husband and wife become one flesh. And this is why Jesus is so concerned with marriage. And in such a negative way, condemns divorce. Because it represents the very real and permanent bond that his people have with him. Divorce is messy and painful. It leads to sin, brokenness, because that is not what God had originally designed. Matthew 5 and 19 makes that clear. From the beginning, marriage was supposed to be this unbroken covenant, just like the one we have with Christ. And we can praise God. He will never divorce us because of our sin. I want to leave you with a few points of application. If you're married, I ask that you would take Jesus and his word serious. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 is very clear in his command and takes marriage and the covenant of marriage very serious. Between two believers, the scriptures are clear about one specific example that allows divorce, sexual immorality, and even with that, Christ makes it seem as though it is a last resort. Reconciliation in marriage is what Christ has designed us to be together, not divorced. If you are divorced, or if you've been divorced, know that Christ loves you. And I'm not condemning your past if you've repented of that. The church, like I said in the past, has put an unnecessary stigma on those who have been divorced. And remember 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul in the New Testament, like Jesus, is less concerned with the technical reasons of divorce, but the Christian, no matter where you are in life, you are to live out your Christian life in complete obedience to him. Divorce does not disqualify you from being a Christian. If you're a single, I pray that you would take marriage seriously, just as Christ does. In Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, Jesus makes it clear marriage is set up for a lifelong covenant something that is not designed for you to get out of except in the most extreme circumstances. It's a beautiful and amazing picture that God has given his people, but we are to take it seriously as he has. And everyone else, I think that covers everyone, we have talked about this within the sermon, but it bears repeating. The reason that Christ takes this so serious is because, as Paul put it in Ephesians 5, this points to Christ and the relationship he has with the church. Marriage points to a greater reality that God has married, enter in to this covenant with his people. What is so amazing about that is that he will never divorce us no matter where you are, where you have been. Christ has promised to be there like a good husband is to his wife. Fix your eyes on him. Run to Christ. Take comfort in his promises. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and loving God. You do not relent in your mercy and in your grace towards us. When we fail you, Lord, you are a merciful God. When we misunderstand you, you give us grace. I pray that you would just continue 
to pour out your mercy on your people. Forgive us when we fail you. And Lord, I pray that the reality of marriage would hit us all hard and that we would fix our eyes on you and the promises that you are keeping. To your son's name we pray, amen.